Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about The Fixer Upper, season six, episode 15, first aired February 11th, 1990. And the IMDb summary reads, Intrigue abounds in sunny California when Jessica's niece, Victoria, is accused of the murder of a rich movie heiress in Beverly Hills. Yeah, okay. So So in this episode, we have Victoria and Howard, who we first met in Birds of a Feather, right? And this... Okay, so the actor who played Howard originally is Jeff Conway. And I'm assuming that he had another project at the time because we do see Jeff Conway one more time. We don't see Jeannie Francis, Victoria, again. This is her last episode. So this is thankfully the last time we see this couple. When I tell you I'm so annoyed by these two people, I mean it. (laughs) They are so rude. Like, anyway, anyway, okay. (laughs) So the piece of trivia, not too exciting as is on par for this episode, is that this is the third and last time that we see Victoria and Howard. We first met them in Birds of a Feather when they were engaged and got married at the end of that episode. In that episode, Howard was played by Jeff Conway and he was performing, he was a drag performer at a club and he ends up being accused of the murder of his, of the club owner because he was owed money. Obviously he didn't do it. So there. He was, he lying to Victoria about what he was doing. He said he was, he had got, he was working in insurance, I believe he said. And when she flies from New York, I believe, somewhere on the East Coast, I believe it's New York, and gets there, he is making money by being a drag performer, right? And he's just terrible at it, but that's what makes it super funny. So he is bringing in a good crowd. But he says that in actuality, he did go there to sell insurance, but he got fired after like a week and a half. And so he was able to find this job in like the the newspaper or something that wanted ads. And it turns out that he has a knack for being a very terrible drag performer. Okay. (laughs) So that was the first time we met them. And I believe it was in this, yeah, I believe it was in this episode that Jessica is staying with them. It's a huge apartment, which I'm like, how much money were you expecting to make as an insurance salesman? And then now as a drag performer, because that place is huge. And they were in San Francisco. Hollywood, Los Angeles. I don't remember where they were. Anyway, so they order a pizza. The pizza comes. It has anchovies on it. Jessica's trying to get this figured out. She turns around and they're like making out. And then 
Howard picks up Victoria and they go into the bedroom. And Jessica's like, uh, I guess I'll go for a walk. Like, that's just rude and disrespectful. And in every episode, y'all are like 35 years old. I'm going to need you to act appropriately in front of people. Like, that's just, that's rude. That is absolutely rude. Anyway, so the second time we see them is in Corned Beef and Carnage. They're married at this point because we saw them get married at the end of Birds of a Feather. And I don't know if they're still in California at this time. I don't remember where Corned Beef and Carnage takes place. But Victoria has a job with an ad agency, right? Now, she is doing very well. The owner of the ad agency is murdered by his partner slash his brother, okay? And so I'm, I'm like, but why wouldn't you go over to the Biddle agency, which was their competition? Because she was very sought after. She was actually doing very well in advertising. And obviously the firm that she was working for, or the agency, I should say, that she was working for no longer exists because the two owners, one is dead and the other one is going to be in prison for life. So there's that. Well, actually, no, 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 no. I take that back. The co-owner slash brother was not the murderer. It was one of the other ad associates who was the murderer. So she probably could have made partner because she was so good. They really didn't have anyone of that caliber. They obviously lost somebody, the murderer and the brother slash co-owner. He was not an advertising person. He did not have the, the skill set that his brother, the murder victim had. So she could have parlayed that into a corner office Why she did not, I do not know, okay? Because now we see them in the Fixer Upper, this episode, they're still married. We have a substitute Howard. That's how we're gonna refer to him as Sub Howard, okay? And in this episode, Howard does not have a job and he's very salty about life. I'm like, maybe you need to go there in California, get a job at In-N-Out Burger, okay? Or something because he's, well, I take that back briefly and we'll get to, to that. He did have a job. He did have a job and recently lost it. So I, I will give him some grace about that. But Victoria is dipping her toe in real estate, okay? It seems like, it feels like she's, this is her first big property, but apparently she's been working in real estate for a minute at least based on something Howard says later on in the episode. But yeah, so <laughs> clearly I don't like this couple. And that's why it, it took me so long to like get it together to actually watch and tape this episode. So here we go. Okay, so we have three returners and then we'll get into the cast and the episode. So first we have Chad Everett and we will first recognize him as 
Oh no, this is his second appearance. So we'll first recognize him as Kevin Keats from Obituary of a Dead Anchor. So he was the anchor who was trying to expose a mobster who was claiming to be an art dealer or art enthusiast. Yeah, and they thought he had died, but in fact, it was some another, it was a producer, executive producer, show, somebody. So (laughs) mind you, I saw that episode like maybe like a month and a half ago. Uh, And it is an episode I actually watch repeatedly. But Kevin Keats was thought to be dead. In fact, he was not dead. He was using the boat as a cup. You know what? Watch that. Listen to that review and watch that episode. So anyway, (laughs) y'all didn't come here for all this. In this episode, he plays Detective Lieutenant Reddick. All I'm going to say is... Whatever was going on with his hair, I don't know if it was a wig. I don't know if he had it cut like that because he was in uh, a terrible uh, Greek movie, okay? Because the bowl cut with a little bit of a rat tail, like I feel like, you know what I mean? Like in Gladiator or whatnot, you know what I'm saying? They wear a little crown situation and their hair is cut like that. And I'm like, I'm sure that back in ancient Greece, their hair was not looking jacked up like that. <laughs> I promise you. But it's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. So next we have Dak Rambo. And we will recognize him first as Brian Shelby from Deadly Lady season one, episode three. And he was the son-in-law to the oldest daughter of the victim. The victim had four daughters and she was, his wife, I believe her name was Lisa in that episode, was married to Brian Shelby. Then we'll recognize him as Bill Hampton from When Thieves Fall Out, season four, episode Two, he was the victim. He was also, and he was the victim because he was the passenger in a car with the coach who, actually the coach did not run the car off the road. A car ran off the, was on the side of the road and they went to, no, 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 he did. Okay, so Bill was drunk. And the coach agreed to take him home because he was going to drive. And when they were in the car, Bill wanted to go back around because he wanted to go to the hotel or the diner or whatever with his girlfriend and the rest of his crew. But the coach was like, nah, you need to go home. You're drunk. And so Bill was like pulling on the steering wheel to get the coach to turn the car around. And in trying to fight off Bill and Bill fighting back, they ended up running this poor man off the side of the road. When they got, when the coach who was sober got out of the car, looked down, he went to see, the guy apparently was unconscious and the coach sees $100,000 in bear bonds in the back. And he's like about to take them when the driver of the vehicle wakes up 
And instead of the coach playing this off, because he's sober, like he's sober. It's like, I can understand if he was drunk and he was like, oh, so I just killed him because I got scared. He was sober. He could have come up with a better plan. And in that review, I go over some of his options, okay? Other than murdering this this innocent man. And so Bill was in the car. So Bill knows what happened. Anyway, so that's when we next see him. And in this episode, he plays Arnold Hastings. And he is the... Wow, he looks very different. I'm just realizing who he plays here. At this point, he has white hair and it's in kind of a buzz cut. And we're used to seeing him with brown curly hair as Brian Shelby and Bill Hampton. If I didn't, and in the the photo, in his headshot on IMDb, it's how we're used to seeing him, how we had previously seen him, which was with brown hair, or curly brown hair. So I'm just mind blown. I'm just realizing that Arnold Hastings, who is a rival real estate agent in this episode, is the same person who played Bill Hampton and Brian Shelby. Like what, like when you watch, if you've already watched the episode, think back to now having seen him with white hair, think back to seeing him previously. Like I would not, if I had not remembered the previous episodes before, I could not have recognized who he was and in what episodes I had seen him in before if I had just based it off of seeing him as Arnold Hastings. There is no way in the world I would have made that connection. Wow. And this was his last Murder, She Wrote episode. I believe that he passed away not a few years after this. Like he, I believe, died in the 1990s at a young age. Like he was very young. And I believe his twin brother also died at a young age. But I think Dak did more acting than his brother Dirk. So unfortunately, then we have the saving grace of this episode, other than Jessica Fletcher, of course, Brenda Vaccaro. And we will recognize her as Mimi Harcourt, the... uh, Gossip columnist. She had a different name for it, but whatever. That Facts are the facts. From Just Another Fish Story. And she called Jessica Jennifer. <laughs> Remember they were at the restaurant that Sonny Bono was the owner of? And they were the only ones in the place, but they were playing the sound of a crowded restaurant. That's what the restaurant was doing to make you believe there were other people there, which you could clearly see there was nobody else there except Jessica and Mimi. Now, in this episode, she plays Dee Dee Blair, okay? (laughs) And she is Victoria's boss at the real estate agency. So the cast consists of Victoria and Howard Griffin, or Sub Howard, 
Then we have Detective Lieutenant Reddick and his terrible hair. We have Arnold and Claire Hastings, Seymour Dench, Alec Burton, Kevin and Deborah Tarkington, and Dee Dee Blair. So the episode opens up and we see Sub Howard in a hospital bed. Long story short, he has a, he was a regular on a TV series, right? But they're actually killing him off in this episode, in this scene specifically. And so he jumps up, he's all upset. And the director's like, sorry, you didn't get the new pages. Yeah, you're dying here. You're not making a speedy recovery. This is it you know, take your last check and go. So he is freshly out of a TV series job. Okay. So that's why I take back my suggestion that he gets a job because he actually had a regular acting job. So he was bringing in money to the household. So I I will take that step back just a little bit. So the next scene, we're at an open house and this is the Tarkington estate and Victoria has an exclusive on it. So I'm not a real estate agent, but I'm guessing this means that any sale, she will get the commission off of it. So you have people who have sent brokers, real estate agents, regular people who are doing this on their own, whoever, even if someone else sets up the sale, the commission goes to Victoria and Precious Premises is the name of the agency. So basically, Victoria seems very new at this, but based on what Howard says later about like, I told her to stop telling me about you know, her work and her deadlines and her exclusives and people dropping out at the last minute and da da da. So it sounds like this isn't her first. And also it's a $4.9 million estate. So that would be real bold if this was her first foray into the real estate game. Like if they gave her this property, unless they're selling properties in the tens of millions and this is just, you know, not important and either an easy sale or nobody can sell it. Like here's some practice for you perhaps. But anyway, we then see Alec Burton, okay? And he's in some old car looking like a, a movie star, like looking like a someone who was a movie star like 20 years ago, still famous, still a bit of a sex symbol, you know, not an action hero like we see today. He's now like Rock or John Cena or even like taking a step back in years, not even like a Bruce Willis or an Arnold Schwarzenegger, more like, more like a James Bond type of situation, even like not quite Daniel Craig, because I feel like Daniel Craig was really, he really puts in some choreographed fighting. You know, he, he'll get with you. More like the Pierce Bronson and the um, Sean Connery 
James Bonds, the that level, you know, dressed up a little bit tough with a gun or like a detective out there with a blazer on and a button down shirt and <laughs> like running after suspects and stuff like that. So he wants to purchase the house and he is using Arnold as his go-between. And Arnold is like, she's going to see you, meaning Deborah, the owner of the home. And Alec is like, she's not going to recognize me in this old car and with these sunglasses on. Sir, sir, okay? If I'm trying to think, like, if Pierce Bronson, okay, was sitting in a beat up car with sunglasses on in the prime, in the prime of his like older gentleman career, you know, before he started to go a little gray, right before then, you're telling me that somebody who had a relationship with him years ago and has hated him since then would not recognize him? Like the spirit of bitterness is going to, <laughs> to awaken whenever you're present. Oh, she's not going to see me with her eyesight. Anyway, and anyway, well, we'll get to to that in a minute. So, of course, Deborah sees outside and recognizes Alec. And so by the time she walks from the window to the wall, <laughs> no, um, by the time she gets to the front of her house, Arnold has come in, found Victoria and told her that he is willing to make a full price offer before Victoria could say anything other than really, Deborah comes in and she literally throws Arnold out. If that woman had the strength, she would have picked him up and threw him out the door like Uncle Phil did Jazzy Jeff, okay, in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But she grabs his arm and she walked him right out the door. She was like, get out. When I say get out, I mean get out, okay? And he's hemming and hawing and mumbling and stumbling and she she is walking him with the confidence of anger <laughs> the anger of 50 women she is pulling that man out that door and was like get out and never come back then she turns around and she's like upset with victoria that the house hasn't sold and that she you know the exclusive ends at midnight and I'm like, why are you like I two separate things? Don't come talking to me crazy because you you found out that your ex-lover is trying to buy this house. Okay, and you're bitter about it. And we'll see why she she may have valid reasons for this. But you didn't have to give Victoria all this smoke. Now, Victoria is not great at this, clearly. So Deborah then storms off after she tells off Victoria and Kevin, her son, which I'm like, how, how old are these people? Like, how old are these people supposed to be? Deborah clearly looks like she's 62 years old. 
Like she clearly looks like she got a good dye job, but homegirl is 62 in the face. And Kevin looks like he's probably 30. Okay? Okay. But Alec looks like he's in his 50s. And just tans a lot. So he appears a bit older. But I feel like he's in his 50s. Like he's significant. He is a good 10 years younger. You know what? I take that back. Deborah looks a good 68. Okay. And Alec, he probably a 59 to 62 who tans a lot and has a, a good hairstylist to, you know, dye out the grays without it looking like it, the grays were dyed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand how they were supposed to be contemporaries, but we'll delve into that a little bit later. So Kevin then comes in and he's hitting on Victoria. She pays him dust, but she's polite. And we then go to the next scene where Victoria is meeting Jessica for lunch And she's apologizing for being late. She says that she is trying to sell this $4.9 million house. And Jessica's like, oh my God, you could buy all of Cabot Cove for that. (laughs) It must be a mansion. To which Victoria says, it's a nice house, but it's definitely a fixer upper. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Different lifestyle, just different tax bracket, different lifestyles. Wow. So Jessica then asks, well, where is Howard? And Victoria says, oh, he has an audition that he can't miss. And Victoria's, not Victoria, Jessica says, well, I thought he had a regular spot on a TV series. And Victoria says, oh, well, he, he wanted something livelier. Now, I don't know if that's what he told her or if he told her the truth and she's just trying to pretty it up for her aunt. I don't know. Based on their relationship, it could be either one. Okay, either one. So Jessica's like, is that a problem? That homeboy can't seem to keep a job? Is that, is it a problem? Because it should be a problem. (laughs) And Victoria's like, you know, whatever, you know, whatever Howard wants, you know, that's fine with me. But I don't know if I'm ready for this real estate thing then why didn't you stay in advertising, which you were great at? Like, this don't make no sense. You you can't say nothing about Howard. Now, okay, you kind of can, because the jobs you got are high income jobs, right? The jobs he's getting ain't, ain't that he, he's not starring well, this is 1990. I was too young to think about, to look back now to think who was super popular then that he might get a movie deal with that would set y'all up for a good few years. But you jumping jobs too. So I wouldn't be too loud about criticizing Howard. But I... I don't understand why you were getting into real estate when, you know, the advertising game ain't easy either, but at least you had established yourself there in the industry. Anyway, 
So the next scene we're at Al at Arnold and Claire's office. And Alec is upset. He's like, y'all are supposed to be the go-between. Y'all are supposed to get this done. Y'all messed this up, etc." He's pissed. Claire comes, you know, calms him down or whatnot. And it's like, we're, we'll get it. It's not sold yet. Calm down. He leaves. Then we see that Claire is taking diet pills, which we're not going to get into that discussion about 90 skinny. Okay. And she says that Deborah Tarkington is the person who put her onto these pills. Now they're amphetamines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a good number of women and men who died from these diet pills, but you know, tw- hindsight is 2020. Anyway, so the next scene we're at the real estate office and Victoria finds out that one of the potential clients for the house decided to purchase a yacht because it made better financial sense to him for reasons that he states. Anyway, so Victoria's just like, I'm not really great at this. I'm a terrible agent. And Dee Dee is like, yeah, you're the worst I've seen. No one has an open house on the last day of their exclusive. Most half of the people there were brokers and you know what they were doing? Telling their clients to wait till the next day. So I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, that's stupid. On the other hand, I blame Dee Dee because that's her protege. Okay. You're her supervisor. Why would you not tell her the day you got this exclusive, the very next day you should have been putting this up for an open house, like to have within 24 hours of you signing the exclusive contract. 24 hours. This is outrageous that you would wait. And so, and you were there and Dee, Dee was there. So it's like, unless you gave her this, pro- assigned her this property, two days ago and she was only able to get it done that day and the exclusive was only 48 hours something crazy like that that's the only way this would have made sense and you're gonna just let her crash and burn that's your money too because I'm sure you get a cut of it as a manager because she she don't look like nobody she looks like the person who's gonna take a cut whether she's legally supposed to or not okay Dee Dee ain't out here just letting y'all come home with hundreds of thousands of dollars and she ain't getting a cut of that. Oh, no, ma'am. No, sir. So Victoria's like, she got a full price offer from Alec, from Arnold Hastings on behalf of Alec Burton. Like, why is she so bitter about it? Like, sell the man the house. And so Dee Dee is like, listen, This all happened before you were born, but Alec and Deborah had a relationship, right? And that's why I'm like, they're like 10 years apart and that's being generous, but whatever. So I'm like, girl, you didn't know he was playing you? All right, I guess, I guess. But they were in a relationship. He was a struggling actor. Her father was a movie mogul 
And so Deborah convinced her father to put Alec in one of his pictures. He did. The picture did amazingly well. It broke box office records everywhere. And so as soon as that happened, Alec broke up with Deborah. So Victoria is like, well, that's not smart. Her father's a movie mogul. Like your name would be mud in the business. And Dee Dee was like, yeah, you ain't know her father. Her father did not care. The fact that the movie that Alec starred in, I'm assuming, made so much money that the day Alec broke up with Deborah, her father, Harry, signed Alec up for a three-picture deal. When I tell you, when I tell you I would have made sure that my father's will was in order and I was getting everything and I would have poisoned him. You're going to tell me that this guy who used me and broke my heart because he's making you money, you're going to do business with him and you don't even care? The fact that he clearly, he didn't even, he didn't even stay long enough to put up a front that he actually cared about me. He made it perfectly clear when this movie was a hit and he was about to, he knew he was going to secure additional deals, whether with her father or elsewhere, he dipped out. And now you want to come back around and buy the house that my father built? Oh no, that I'm living in? Oh, <laughs> no, what you're not going to do is that, that no, because like both y'all got to go. Both of y'all got, y'all can share the elevator to hell for all I care. The actual nerve. And then you're going to come outside the house in a beat up car and put on some sunglasses on your overly tanned face and think that I'm not going to recognize you. Are you kidding me? He, when I tell you, I would have shot out that window. (laughs) You want to be here playing in my face? You want to be here playing in my face like this? You're going to come to my house. I When I tell you I would have taken Arnold outside and went right up to that car, threw the door open and snatched Alec out of there and said, because she yelled at Arnold, like, if you come back to my property, I'm calling the police. When I tell you I would have snatched that grown behind over tanned man out of that car, we would have had to fight. Okay, <laughs> I'm not saying I would have a brick, but I'm saying a brick may have been thrown at Alec. I'm just saying. Just, just, yeah, you can't recover from that. So while they're at the office, Victoria gets a call and it's Seymour Dench. He is a car dealership owner and he offers $3.9 million, all cash, And he's going to give her a cash binder that day at 11 p.m. at the Tarkington estate. So she has to go and she has to get approval from Deborah before she can, you know, process this sale. Which we find out off, she does off camera, she does get approval and they're on for 11 p.m. with the cash binder. So 
The next scene, we're at dinner and it's Jessica and Howard. And Howard is like, oh, she's 30 minutes late. I hope nothing happened, right? So at first he's concerned. Then Jessica says, well, her exclusive on the Tarkington estate ends at midnight. You didn't know that? Howard's like, no, I told her not to tell me anything about her, you know, her business and da, 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 da. Why would she pick a profession that's so insecure? And Jessica says, unlike acting, now, he don't even catch that. Now, he's simple. Sub Howard is simple because he surely didn't catch that. But <laughs> again, she should have stayed in advertising because at least if you're working for an advertising agency, you're probably on salary. So at least you know you're bringing home a check and any commission is great. Now, obviously you have to make a commission, you have to make deals for them to keep you there and not get rid of you for, you know, just collecting a check and sitting there staring at the computer screen. But real estate is difficult. It's a big reward, but it's not consistent, even the best of them. So I agree with Howard, despite the irony of him being the one to say it. And so Jessica says, oh, well, Victoria said that you had an audition this afternoon. How did it go? So he didn't get the job for whatever reason. Too short, too tall, whatever. Not enough talent. I don't know. He He didn't get the job. But he is participating in this unpaid workshop. Okay, so they're apparently putting on a play that evening going forward. He didn't say how long it was supposed to run or whatever, but this workshop is a a play. So Victoria arrives and she tells them the exciting news that she got a $3.9 million offer on the house, that Deborah has accepted it, um, but she has to go back to the office to write this up in preparation for the 11 p.m. meeting. To which Howard then becomes upset because Victoria is going to miss his play. And when I tell you, Victoria had the creepiest look on her face as she was getting up from the table, walks around the table, around Jessica, and goes up to Howard and kisses him, right? And it's like, I haven't forgotten about your play. Gives him a kiss. This is just like, Jessica is literally like three inches away from their faces. When I say like that, rude. And she's like, I just can't go to the first night, you know, and she, she leaves. Now I understand him being upset to a point. Now, had you not been a jerk and be like, don't tell me about your business. Cause I'm sure you tell her about all the times that you're rejected from acting jobs. So why can't she tell you about the sales and the drama of the real estate business. Like how absolutely selfish. You could tell her about how much of a failure you are, but she can't tell you what she's, you're her husband, okay? And she can't even talk to you about her job. And she's the one supporting the family. Man, if you don't get out of my face, I promise you, this is terrible. And for Jessica to say, oh, I think you guys are perfect for each other or made for each other. No, they're not. They're terrible together because Howard is a child. That's the problem. And Victoria, low key, is creepy. <laughs> Girl, you could do better. Like, what is your, where is your self-esteem? Like, you could do better. 
Like what redeeming qualities does Howard have? Regular Howard and sub Howard. What redeeming qualities do they have? The sex must be amazing. Because other than that, there is nothing that I can see. He ain't got no regular job. He can't, he can't keep a job if his life depended on it. Then he's not even supporting you in your career. Okay? He's not even doing that. So what, what, what benefits? There's not an emotional benefit to this whatsoever. There's not even a financial benefit to this. The man is like 35 years old. The amount of people who are that age making it for the first time have what? Extreme talent and either luck or they're blessed. However you, whatever you believe in, right? That it is very rare. And Howard clearly does not have enough talent to make it this late in life. And you've been trying all these years and you still ain't make it. You still, you got written off your show. And the director is like, oh, well, bye. Like, don't even, you're not even good enough for them to be like, try to negotiate. They're just like deuces. So Victoria leaves. Jessica is like, well, you know, Victoria can't go, but I can go. And so Howard is like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, it's an allegory. And Jessica's like, an allegory? Listen, I've been out of school way too long to actually know what that means. So I, I don't know if Jessica was, well, she was an English teacher. So she probably understood what that meant. <laughs> and her question was like, that's really what we're doing here? As opposed to my question when I would ask, allegory? Like, yeah, you got to run that back to me. I'm going to need a Webster's Dictionary version of that. <laughs> I'm going to need that definition because it's somewhere in the back that I knew for whatever exams I needed to take where an allegory needed to be defined or identified or used. But uh, yeah, nothing. Okay. (laughs) So the next scene is later that night after the play where apparently there was supposed to be a sprinkling of rain, but the plumbing system got jacked up and the first two rows of people got drenched and Jessica got a sprinkling from that. And at least Howard was apologetic. So we find out later he played a mushroom in this. A mushroom. A mushroom. Okay. Yeah. A mushroom. So... (laughs) That's his livelier job. So Jessica is like, oh, it's fine. Um, Oh, it looks like you have a message on your answering machine. And it's from Deborah saying that she found out that the buyer Victoria had found was a phony. Not for nothing. She, well, she was drunk. We find out later she, she was drunk because homegirl was slurring. Okay. Three sheets to the wind, but she was in her own house and she wasn't driving or operating heavy machinery. So she could be drunk in her own house in the middle of the night if she want to. But 
she she was like, your exclusive ends at midnight. Good try if this was a stalling tactic, blah, 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 whatever. So how Jessica's like, oh my goodness, Victoria didn't get that message. She's supposed to be at the house at 11 p.m. So apparently it's before 11 p.m. So Howard is like, let's go. Like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get her away from that place. Yeah, because Deborah sounds like it, she could cause a problem. So I agree with him. He's like, I'm gonna go and if I got to drag her out of there, I'll do that. I'm going to get my wife. Jessica says, I'm going... <laughs> She says, I'm going to, I, I don't want to miss the best performance of the night. <laughs> shade, like a whole forest of shade. Okay, Jessica. So the next scene, we're at the estate and Victoria has pulled up. She goes up to the door. She's supposed to meet Deborah there. And then Seymour is supposed to also come at 11. So they'll sign the paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. But Deborah doesn't come to the door. She didn't wait that long, to be honest. And like Deborah could have been in the bathroom. She could have been in the kitchen getting some water and you can give her no time to get to the door. Victoria opens it with the key that she has as the real estate agent, goes in and she finds Deborah dead. As soon as she like, sees that and checks for a pulse. She hears a sound right behind her. So she goes, she picks up a fire poker. There's four in there. Usually one's the broom, one's the dustpan, the poker, and there's usually another tool. So there's four in there. She picks up the pointer, like the fire poker. And um, she is holding it up and then she sees that it's Howard and Jessica coming into the room. So she puts it down and they're like, "What? what's going on? Well, we need to call the police. But before they get a chance to do that, the security who is dressed like police, but are not in fact police, but I guess either the estate or the community security guards come in, guns drawn, telling them to put their hands up. The next scene, we meet Lieutenant Reddick, Reddick and his terrible hair. And it doesn't help that he has a terrible attitude as well. Like I can't, I don't necessarily understand what he was going for, what the writers were going for, what the actor was going for in this. I, he is very confusing in this role because he's like kind of a jerk. And he's really dense for someone who is a detective lieutenant for the Beverly Hills Police Department, Los Angeles Police Department. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know (laughs) what police force he is on, but he has made it to a very high ranking and he seems simple. (laughs) He is like pulling muscles left and right as he jumps to conclusions so quickly. So we find out that the from the coroner that Deborah has been dead less than two hours. The detective asks about the bruise on her head or face. And the coroner says it's probably from the fall. So there's also like a bottle of scotch, a half 
empty bottle of scotch and a bunch of pills, which turn out to be diet pills um, with amphetamine in them. So like you can overdose on them and those are found sprinkled around, right? So it looks like she overdosed on alcohol and pills and passed out, hitting her head and dying. So Jessica is like, But there is a half drunk bottle of scotch and a glass over here. Why would she open a new one? And the detective is like, drunks don't make always make sense. And Jessica's like, sir, what? (laughs) Because you don't have a logical answer for it. That's your response. Okay. Okay. Mm, Hmm. Uh, ignorance. I got it. Cool. 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 So the next morning we're at Victoria and Howard's apartment and Victoria is going through the bills and Jessica's like, Oh, it's too early for that. Like have some breakfast, have some coffee beforehand. And she's like, well, the bills have to be paid. So I'm like, well, why, why are the bills not paid? Didn't he just get fired? From the soap opera, I say soap opera. Yeah, I think it was a soap opera. That's what it looked like. So when he still have a check, was he not making good money? Well, it's possible that he wasn't making good money, but you were a regular, so it would have been consistent. Have you not sold any properties? Do y'all not have money? That apartment is huge. And you sitting there with the lights on and the water running. I'm confused. I am confused because if you're telling me that he was a regular on the TV series, now he only had, he was fired two and a half days ago. Okay. At this point. So he would have had the previous check, which should have been part of the budget and in the process of being spent and another check coming, right? Was he on a date, right? Did he get paid cash at the end of the day? Like he's working construction. Is that, is that the type of gig he had? Because I'm confused about why there are all these overdue bills and both of y'all work. And you're in real estate. Now, if he want to act and the acting is not paying what it needs to pay to fill in the blanks or the downtime in between you selling houses, one, you should have stayed in advertisement so you would be on a salary and have insurance. But two, then somebody needs to get a second job because you shouldn't have all these overdue bills and y'all both working. Yeah, I'm confused. But Jessica is like, well, you know what? Let me help you until um, until how Sub Howard um, gets on his feet. And Victoria says, now a lot don't care who tell it. Okay, and Jessica, no, she's lying. But I don't understand. <laughs> she gonna look Jessica. She gonna look Aunt Jessica in the face and say, basically, thank you. But if you lent us money, it would kill Howard. It's bad enough that his wife has to work, not let alone accepting money from relatives. That man does not have a job to support his household. And he has done nothing to remedy that because if he had this 
consistent job on the TV series and you still had to work, that means that if he did not want you to work, he should have been working two or three jobs. But he didn't. He didn't have a single problem turning on those lights, turning that water on, having taken a hot shower, eating the food in the refrigerator, going to fancy restaurants. He ain't had no problem when you was paying the bills for that. So miss me with it's bad enough that he has, you know, he's depending on his working wife. He ain't got no problems with that because if he did, he would have found a solution or a resolution to that. Yeah, sweetheart, you're delusional. You're delusional. Or you just don't want to be embarrassed in front of your aunt. But like she already clocked that y'all are having financial problems and Howard is not holding up his end of the bargain. Yeah, like I don't know how this relationship ended up with you working a job that you're terrible at, okay? That you're terrible at. <laughs> Under a person who clearly does not want to help you succeed, that being Dee Dee, okay? And Howard is just living his dream. Sir, you're too old for this. You can't have it both ways that you don't want your wife to work, but you don't want to get a real job until acting for real takes off. And if you get an acting job that's consistent, but it's not enough to support your household the way that you would like to support your household, then you get a second job. Those are your options in the real world. And as much as I can say about Grady, as much as I could say about him, because remember, when we first met him, homeboy couldn't keep a job or a woman. Not neither. Not neither. Okay. <laughs> but what? He got with Donna. Donna, who was a career woman, but wanted to be a housewife and then a stay-at-home mom. What happened? Grady got his life together. And he was able to, because he wanted a, he wanted a a housewife. So what did he do? He got his life together and he got his money up so that he could do that. So that Donna could be the housewife she wanted to be. And Grady could have the housewife, Donna, that he wanted. And they have a happy little family. And at the end of the season, we'll see that they're going to have a beautiful baby boy. Because what? Grady got his life together and thank God for Donna because honestly, it's 100% Donna, okay? Because the time between him leaving Jessica and Frank's house and him getting with Donna, it was just a roller coaster of terrible. But (laughs) he was just out on his own and he really couldn't handle it. But he, he got his life together and... He actually wanted to be an accountant and that's what he went to school for and everything like that. And he was able to, I believe he's doing accounting and that's how he's taking care of his household. But he wanted to do that and he did what he needed to do to provide for his household. So now I don't, we don't know if Victoria want to work or not. Because girl, if you want to work and he don't want you to work, what? Well, that, then y'all shouldn't be together because that that's very, <laughs> very different. But yeah, that's wild. <laughs> like, 
you don't want me to have a job, but he is so selfish in wanting to be an actor and make it happen that I have to work. And he's just mad about that, but he's not doing anything to resolve that problem. So they're sad. So the next, while they're sitting there, the lieutenant calls and he wants Victoria to come into the office. So the next scene, we're in the lieutenant's office and he said that he found out about Deborah's call to Victoria. And my question is how? How did he find out about Deborah's call and the content of that call? The fact is, He would not have been able to, but we're going to pretend like he had access to this information so that we can move the storyline across, uh, the storyline ahead. And I'll tell you why it's impossible for him to have known what Deborah said to Victoria on the voicemail. First of all, Jessica would have never said anything about that, okay? Because he's saying he found out, right? So it's not like Jessica said it in her interview or Howard or Sub Howard said it in his interview. And Victoria never got the call. So she would not have said, oh, Deborah called me. Who would have told him? At best, phone records would have shown a call and he wouldn't have got phone records this quick, even on a homicide case, especially in 1990. Okay, where the technology is not as quick as it is now. Okay, so even if they were able to see, did and it, what episode? Um, Alma murder was it that I think it was Alma murder that Jessica dialed hit redial to see who the last person the victim called was. And that's how she identified the murderer. She had gone back to visit her sorority and yeah, that episode, right? Now, even if taking it to this episode, to the fixer upper, even if one of the officers or detectives or crime scene hit the redial button and it called Victoria and Howard's apartment, there is no way they knew the content of that conversation. Okay, there's not. And nobody said anything about getting there. The voicemail, the answering machine. And I don't know, like Howard turned the knob. Like, I don't know if he erased it even. He might've erased it. So assuming he did, It's impossible. So y'all just out here playing in my face. Y'all in here playing in my face. But anyway, so Victoria is like, I never got that call. So why am I here? I told you I never got a call from her. Okay. Because what Jessica and Howard probably said was that Deborah left a message for Victoria She obviously did not get it. So we went to the mansion to tell her what the message was. And as dense as Howard is, I promise you, he wouldn't have told them the content of that conversation. 
And I promise you the way they set these police officers up, ain't none of them asked them what was the content of that message that she left. And you know Jessica wasn't about to lay her niece out to slaughter. So she wasn't going to say nothing. Like something about um, rescheduling. Yeah, rescheduling. So anyway, so the lieutenant and his ain't got the sense that God gave himself says, I think you did get the call and that you went over to the house and that y'all got into an argument and that you hit her over the head and, you know, and killed her. And Jessica is like, what, what are you even talking about? And so I thought she died from hitting her head from falling. And he says, no, the coroner determined that she was hit in the head with the fireplace poker. And they found Victoria's fingerprints on the fireplace poker and blood from Deborah. And Victoria's like, I it can't explain that. I told you that I picked it up when I heard a sound. And, da, 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 da. and <laughs> Jessica is like, wait, so, so you're all about these fingerprints, but the fingerprints on the bottle of scotch and the glass that she supposedly drank this scotch from had fingerprints wiped off. And so the lieutenant says, well, obviously because your niece wiped her fingerprints off of that, but not the murder weapon. And his face drops. But it's still, still like, sir, you didn't, you didn't think this all the way through. Why would there be prints on the murder weapon? It, I don't care. I am the real estate agent. I am the exclusive real estate agent. My fingerprints being on a glass, my fingerprints being on a bottle of scotch in her house means nothing. I could have been staging for buyers. She could have offered me a drink. She could have asked me to pour her a drink. I've been in the house. I was invited in the house. I have a key to the house so I can enter whenever I need to enter. So it would make less sense for my prints to be wiped off of a glass and the scotch bottle, okay? All prints. So that that's separate. Clearly that was a setup because homegirl's prints should have been, the Deborah's prints should have been on there. That's how she accidentally took herself out but I'm gonna leave my prints on the murder weapon when I talk <laughs> if I had enough time to clean off the to set up the scene I would have cleaned off the murder weapon like I said ain't got the sense God gave him so then the lieutenant embarrassed, but not embarrassed enough, clearly, asked where Howard is. And Jessica's like, Howard's not a suspect. He was on stage at the time of the murder. And the lieutenant's like, he says that. And Jessica's like, I saw him, as did the rest of the audience and the cast. And the lieutenant's going to say, but wait for this, wait for this. He's going to say that he has one very cold body and two very warm suspects. And until he finds otherwise, they're the ones that he's focusing on. 
So you're going to tell me, despite the fact that Howard has an ironclad alibi, okay? He was playing a mushroom in a workshop that was observed by tens of people. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, that you still consider him a suspect? What? Okay, girl. Okay. You're just making yourself look worse, worser and worser. (laughs) Oh my gosh, he's terrible. And his hair is atrocious. Like, I don't even understand. I don't even understand like what this character is all about. I just don't understand. They did this man wrong. Like he must've owed somebody money. He must've stole somebody's wife. I don't know. I do not know. Or he is dating somebody's 20-year-old daughter and they ain't cool about this. I don't know. But they, they, (laughs) Chad deserved better. He deserved better. The actor's real name is Chad Everett. Okay, he is, he, I can't even say he was acting like a Chad here. Just, (laughs) he deserved better. He deserved better than this. Anyway, So the next scene, we are in the Hastings. So Arnold Hastings' office. And Dee Dee comes in and she's like, listen, I have an in with the son, you know, the only surviving heir. So maybe I will bring the sale to you. You have Alec Burton in your pocket. So there's enough of a commission to go for both of us if you're down. And so Arnold is like, well, and Didi's like, well, I know you may have to ask your wife. He's like, no, no, we're good. We're good. Set it up. I'm on board. So the next scene, we're at the estate and Jessica is visiting. She claims to have dropped her glasses the day before. The maid is like, well, I didn't see any glasses, but you're welcome to come in and take a look. And so she has a conversation with the maid. She asks a bunch of questions. The maid actually likes Victoria and hated Deborah, but a job is a job, you know. And we find out from the maid that Deborah was taking diet pills. She had just run out the day before, so the day of the murder. And the maid was supposed to pick up her prescription, but had forgotten and went that morning to pick them up. And unfortunately, she's like, there's, there's no need for it now. It's too late now. And so she starts to tear up and Jessica's like, oh, you must have really loved her. And she's like, no, I hated her guts. And Jessica's like, well, why are you crying? She was like, because I'm losing a job, ma'am. <laughs> I'm unemployed. Like, what do you think? But she was like, yeah, this, this son of hers, he ain't trying to have me around here. So like, I got to figure out my next move because this ain't it. So Kevin comes in and he, long story short, he's ready to sell. The house is the only thing left in their estate, meaning there's not monies, other properties, I get like, there's not royalties from his grandfather's films. Cause it, I don't know if Deborah had any other siblings, but this was the house she grew up in. And it sounds like if, if she's not the only child, she's the only living child. 
of Harry Tarrington. Tarkington. So I would think that there would be royalties from her father's movies. And that's how they kept the house and living in this, this, uh, bracket (laughs) in the society of it all. But the son, he wants to sell the house, get the cash out of it and get a house in Miami beach, you know, move to Florida. Sir, don't move to Florida. Don't move to Florida, but and move to Florida and and live that South Beach life. He he's over this old stuffy Beverly Hills uh, situation. So the next scene, Jessica is leaving and Vicky pulls up, and she's like, "I don't know, I can't reach Seymour at the number he gave." And then the lieutenant arrives. He says that the toxicology report came back, which, which, a lot don't care who tell it, but let's move on. So he says that there was scotch in her system, but no diet pills. And that she died from a blow to the head from the fireplace poker, which has Deborah's blood on it and Victoria's fingerprints. So the next scene, they're in the office. Howard is pissed. He's trying to defend his wife. He is pointing out the fact that she grabbed the poker because she was scared and heard noises. She was in a, a alone with a body in this huge house. And when she saw that it was Jessica, him and Jessica, that she put it away. And, you know, it doesn't make sense that she wouldn't have wiped her fingerprints off of it, but her fingerprints are not on anything else. So Jessica says, Howard, calm down. The best thing you can do is to find a good lawyer. He was like, I'm going to get the best. He turns to her. He was like, I can't afford the best or the second best or, or anything. And Jessica says, don't worry about that now. Just find somebody. And so she sends him off. And this is, this is when Jessica goes into the fact that there's no fingerprints on the scotch bottle and the glass but there is on the murder weapon and at this point Seymour Dench arrives and he admits like yes I did call Victoria I did set up for 11 p.m that I was going to bring a cash binder that I offered 3.9 million and um, he admits that Alec Burton was going to provide that cash for him to purchase the house And that they had agreed that he would, but it was through Arnold Hastings. So he never met with Alec Burton, right? But he was told by Arnold Hastings that that was the person he was working for, which I'm like, you ain't supposed to tell who you working for, Arnold. They, mm, terrible. So Seymour says they were going to pay him $10,000 and... He didn't do it just for the money, but he was a huge fan of Harry Tarkington, watched every movie he made, and he wanted the chance to meet his daughter and to see, like, to step inside that house. It was like a shrine to Harry Tarkington, and he just, that would just be like a dream come true. But he was running late, and by the time he got there, the house was swarmed with police officers. So the next scene, we're at the estate and 
Victoria is taking the precious premises sign off because she no longer has the exclusive. Kevin is like, oh, but no, you can keep the exclusive. But how about you have dinner with me tonight? And she's like, ah, my husband has a play. So Ranger. And so when she's telling Jessica, Jessica's like, well, maybe you misinterpreted it. And she's like, what we're not going to do, what we're not going to do is have me out here doubting that this man is trying to hit on me and trying to get a situation and try to get uh, some adult situations going on for me to keep this exclusive. Because she's like, yeah, no, I am very clear on what he was trying to do. He said dinner, he was going to cook the spaghetti bolognese at his house with no staff there this evening. And Jessica's like, yeah, that, yeah. And he's young too. And, and like also, he the way he was talking to Victoria the first time when his mother was still alive also signaled that he wanted more than just the conversation and, you know, her to sell this house. So the next scene, Jessica Howard and Victoria are at their apartment and Howard had gone to the tax assessor's office for Jessica because she had a hunch. He comes back with the documentation and we find out that Alec Burton is buying up property around the Tarkington estate. And so they're like, oh, he's probably trying to make a mega mansion and with the Tarkington property as the center of it. So the next scene, we're at the police station and Alec is there and he, is, he admits that he used a third party to purchase these properties because if people knew it was him, they would raise the price exponentially. And he said that he was at a party that night that actually Claire and Arnold were at as well. But that, so the lieutenant is like, but you left at 11 p.m. And Alex says, for Public purposes, I did. I made a show of leaving at 11 p.m., but I doubled back because I had an appointment with the lady of the house while her husband was playing host to the hundreds of people downstairs. And so I didn't leave until about 2 a.m. So, yeah, there's that. And the detective is like, so you were upstairs in the bedroom while they the party was going on downstairs. He was like, no, we were in the servants quarters. How the servants quarters. Are you serious? Servants quarters above the garage. And so, <laughs> so the detective's like, really? Jessica's like, can we not? Can we not like calm down? So he's like, yeah, like I like the danger of it all. I'm like, sir. Okay. Whatever, whatever. Whatever, you, that's your business. You shouldn't be sleeping with that man's wife, but it takes two. Because he was like, the party was boring. I had taken two of Claire's pills, the diet pills, to stay awake because it's amphetamine. You know? <laughs> and so 
he's like, so this is an epiphany for Jessica. But he was like, yeah, all of a sudden, the lady of the house, she slips me a note and a key. A note and a key. He was like, oh, this party just got real interesting. Um, Y'all, I'm going to head on out. I'm going to head on out. Bye. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I loved you in that other movie. We going to work together one of these days. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. Oh, great to see you. Great to see you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, pictures. Okay, great. Great, great. I got to go. I got to go. Okay, bye. And doubled on back to the above garage apartment. So the next, so then they receive a call. No. So now they're back at the apartment and Kevin has called Victoria. And Victoria is like, my husband has a play tonight. I'm not coming. And he's like, oh, we have a late dinner. She was like, I ain't on that. And so then Howard picks up. He's standing next to her listening to this. He then takes the phone from her, goes off on Kevin, rightfully so. She has made it extremely clear that she is married and she's not on that tipping, dipping, cheating tip. Okay? So leave it at that. He hangs up the phone and Dee Dee has let herself in to the property and says that she hears that there's an open dinner uh, invitation. And he's like, oh, are you listening, tapping my phones? And she's like, no, I overheard Mrs. Griffin talking about that she's going to be at the theater tonight. So Dee Dee's all dressed up. And so whatever stuff happens so that she can get the exclusive on the Tarkington estate. So the next scene we're at Arnold's office and Jessica is talking about relocating to the West coast and she wants to buy the Tarkington estate. Claire comes in. She was like, no, she's a, she's playing us. Don't trust her. She's looking for suspects. And Jessica's like, yeah, that's cute and all. I'm leaving tomorrow. I need this done. And she's like, are you serious? She, so Jessica says, I'm so serious that I'm willing to pay the 4.9 million plus 10%. Okay. So that's 490 thousand more dollars. So both Claire and Arnold are like, yeah, we could get this together tomorrow. Okay, this is great. I'm glad we're doing business. Perfect. So the next scene, we're at the estate and Kevin has rolled out of bed at high noon. Okay. He's like, why y'all here so early? Arnold is like, it's noon. (laughs) Okay. This is somebody who has never had to have a job, okay? So he'd been out of school for decades, I'm sure. (laughs) He's probably like 25 to 32. So somewhere in there, somewhere in there. So he he was up with Dee Dee all last night. That's why he's sleeping till noon, okay? You know Dee Dee done snuck out at like two o'clock in the morning and went on back to her own place, okay? (laughs) Work is done. Okay. So Arnold and Claire say, well, we found a buyer for your house and it's us. And we're willing to meet the last offer, which was $3.9 million. Remember that was Seymour's offer. At this point, Jessica 
And the lieutenant walks in and Jessica says, oh, well, that's interesting because you promised to sell it to me for 4.9 million plus 10%. And the lieutenant says, oh, that's a tidy profit on a crooked deal. So basically what they were going to do is now their original deal with Alec was that they would purchase the house with his money and then quote unquote sell it to him, okay? And he would pay them their fee, right? So, and they would buy it and they would sell it to Alec at the same price, okay? Now, what they were doing here is they were going to sell, they were gonna purchase the house for $3.9 million. And then they were going to sell it to Jessica for, was that, $5.49 million. And they were going to pocket the difference. Okay, the 1.9, yeah, the difference. <laughs> As you know, which is a lot of money, 3.9 million to 5.49. Yeah, it's a, it's a good amount of money. Well, I think it's 1.5 or 1.410. Mm-mm. 1.510 million. Yeah, 1,510,000 if my math is correct. Don't judge me if it's not, okay? This is all, no calculators involved. So the lieutenant is like, so yeah, clearly Deborah found out that Seymour was working on your guy's behalf and therefore working on Alec Burton's behalf and shut this all down. And so... Arnold is like, you think I killed her? I did not kill her. I was at a party. And Jessica looks to Claire. And Claire was like, you think it's me? I was at that same party. And Claire says, well, Alec Burton said there were so many people there. Anyone could have snuck out and came back. And she, Jessica then turns to Claire. Well, no, she says, isn't that right, Claire? And she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You think it's me? And Jessica says, yes, I think it's you that you murdered her and then tried to make it look like she overdosed on diet pills and alcohol and had fallen and struck her head and and died. And Jessica then brings up the fact that according to Deborah's maid, she had ran out of the diet pills that afternoon So there's no way that those would have been her diet pills strewn across the floor. And the lieutenant says there were no diet pills found in her system. And right now they're dusting those pills that were found around her body for prints. So at this point, Claire confesses. She's like, you know, you work for rich people and work with rich people to the point that you think that they're your friends and that you feel like one of them. And then something happens and you find out that you're basically on par with their poodle, their poodle's hairdresser. And 
she said this is all this all came down because Seymour, who is like we said, a really big fan of Harry Tarkington, and he used assisting them as his in. So he reached out to Deborah and came to meet with her before the 11 p.m. thing, so earlier in that day. And after about five minutes, Deborah saw through the ruse and that he was just a front, that he was not a serious buyer for this property. And that Seymour spilled his guts about, you know, the real plan, the real deal, the background, the lies before Deborah threw him out. And so Jessica said, no, I think Claire still said at that point, he must, she must have called Victoria and left the message about the sale being canceled. After that, she called the party to speak with Arnold, but Claire intercepted that call and she just went off on her and she was talking about fraud. I told her to calm down. We'll talk about this. So Claire then left the party, went over to the Tarkington estate and she said that Deborah was just drunk enough to be nasty and just basically told her about herself. And this is what she says, like, this is what she means when she says, you find out you're on par with their poodle hair, their poodle's hairdresser. Cause I'm sure she wore that woman out. Like you think that because you make a few hundred thousand dollars a quarter, that you're anywhere near the amount of money that my father made the millions and tens of millions of dollars. You couldn't even pay to drive my car. Okay, I probably pay my staff more than you make. And you're out here scrimping and saving and thinking that you're that you're high society. I don't even have to pay for the country club. I just put my name down and walk in. You have to get sponsors. I am the sponsor. You know, like I'm sure she tore that woman down with her slurred speech and all. Okay. Because people get, some people get nasty when they get drunk and they tell you, they, what they say, a, a drunk mouth speaks a sober heart. So she, whatever she was saying that was nasty was how she really, really felt about them. So yeah, that had to be humbling, upsetting, and angering, frustrating the whole night. Like you, you drunk, bitter woman, you got the nerve to be talking about me? Am I happy marriage? I mean, it's like the filth on the bottom of your shoe and you're here all alone, bitter. Your son hates you. The person, the only person you ever loved left you and was successful. Your father didn't even care to disavow him, but put money before he put you. And you gonna get mad and nasty with me? Girl, girl, please. I'm not the one, the two, or the three. Because homegirl, Clarendon picked up the fire poker when Deborah went to call the police as she hit her. Now, I was, honestly, I would have let her call the police and sound crazy and drunk on the phone. And I would have just been like, I am got the phone from her, pushed her to the side, got the phone. Like, I am so sorry. I'm her nurse. And she got into the liquor. She 
is acting belligerent. I'm trying to control her. It's fine. You don't have to send the police. She'll calm down. She'll tire herself out. She does this all the time. I am so sorry. Deborah, I told you, you're, you're drunk. You're drunk. You're drunk. Okay. And just, that's what, that's what Claire should have done. Got right on that phone when she called the police. Like you hear she's slurring her speech. Like she's ta- she's taking these diet pills that are prescription. They're narcotics and she's been drinking scotch. She is just very delusional right now. I am so sorry to take your time up. Please, we're, we're fine. She'll calm down. I'm going to put her to bed and she'll, she'll be okay. I am so sorry. And hung that phone up, pulled it out of the wall and been like, who you calling now? Nobody. You went, none of this happened. You're going to sell this house to us and you're going to move on about your business. That's what you're going to do. Because if you don't, you're not going to wake up tomorrow. And I'm a hundred percent serious and just leave it at that. Okay, girl. Cause homegirl would have been scared. She wouldn't have remembered if this happened for real or not, because what she would do is you would come back the next day. Like she was drunk. Like the police know she was drunk. And she's, you know, she on them diet pills and she'd be drinking scotch with them. I was not at her house. I was at that party. Like, I don't know. She's delusional. She crazy. And end up getting her committed. You might be, listen, y'all could have played this correctly. You ain't have to kill nobody. You could have had her committed. Okay. Then bought it, had the son be her power of attorney, bought the house from the son Major commission, Victoria got her commission. The house is sold to Alec, who's still trash, but whatever. He was paying, he was going to pay asking. Sell it to him. Everybody move on. And by the time they clear her from the mental institution, hopefully after detoxing her and helping her with her clear alcoholism, then she can go and have a nice condo on the beach, you know, and live the rest of her life there being bitter in the window. Period. Nobody had to die. Nobody had to go to prison. No one had to go spend a night in the hooskow. You know what I mean? Like y'all got to think smarter because y'all working real hard out here and then still ending up in prison. Girl, a mess. So the final scene, we're at Victoria and Howard's apartment. Victoria got a phone call saying that um, she has sold the house, the Tarkington estate to a person in Kuwait. She just has to wait for the paperwork to clear. And Jessica is like, oh, that's so great. Um, and then she asks about Howard and his play. And she, <laughs> no, she says, oh, well, this is great because then Howard doesn't have to stress about getting a job, which, okay, girl, for at least, you know, he can focus on his dream of getting a, a job in acting. And he was like, and he has the play to which Victoria says the play closed. Yeah. But a friend of his has been talking to him about selling commodities. And um, it was futures and hog belly, something like that. And so then Howard walks in and he's like, great news. I got the job. A guy saw me in the workshop playing the mushroom 
And he's offered me a job in being his basically spokes person mascot. That's <laughs> mascot Pepe the pineapple in all of his commercials. To which Victoria says, and I'm like, girl, really? She says, that's not acting. No self-respecting actor would do that. Acting and being a pineapple don't go together. And so Howard, feeling deflated, is like, he was just, he was very excited about this. He's like, well, it's a job. Like, we... I'm glad you sold that property, but like we need money on a consistent basis. Like this is a national campaign. And Jessica is like, so he's like, Aunt Jessica, like, what do you think? And she's like, well, I think they do go together. Ham and pineapple. And they're like, ah, oh, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, um, that's that on that. But <laughs> now I I don't like that after Victoria has been so supportive of Howard and his acting dreams that she was so dismissive of this, especially seeing how excited he was. That that was very strange, actually. And like, I can understand on one hand where she might have been thinking, this is going to make it more difficult for you to get a serious role or to be taken seriously, right? So I can understand her feeling that way, which I would first ask, like, are they able to see your face? Like when you're, when you say pineapple, like, are you in like a, a suit, like Barney is in a suit? Like you don't know who is in the actual suit because then then that's fine. Like, obviously you're going to put that on your resume, I guess, um, because it's a national campaign. But people who, if you get hired on a movie, people are not going to associate you with Pepe Pineapple, right? Because they didn't see your face. They may have heard your voice and maybe you can change your voice a little bit so that it's not immediately recognizable, but he doesn't have a distinctive voice to begin with. So that's not even a problem. So like, I I don't know. I would have asked those questions first, but I wouldn't have been dismissive. Now, granted, he has not been supportive of Victoria and her real estate job. Okay. Slash career, hopefully making it into a career. Right. So I, I'm guessing she was just giving out what she had been getting. But like, that's where we're going here. Like we're taking it. You're you're gonna meet him where he's at. Like he's very excited about this, and it's finally an acting job that's paid and regular. And you're like, oh God, why would you do that? Like, I I, I don't understand. This is a a one eighty that. You know, I don't like either of them. I don't like Victoria and I don't like Howard. So I'm glad that this is the last time we see them. Okay, period. That's that on that. Anyway. (laughs) I didn't like anybody in this episode except Jessica. Now, 
I don't. Dee Dee Blair. All right. But she really did throw Victoria under the bus. When she didn't tell her before that you, homegirl, you need to be having this open house earlier in your exclusive rights. Okay. Cause don't nobody wait till the last day. Cause that you ain't, you definitely not going to sell it on that day. Cause people are going to just wait till the next day. So yeah, other than that, cause I'm like a girl got to do what a girl got to do when she was getting together with Kevin to get that exclusive. Listen, okay. It, if Victoria ain't going to do it, DD going to take one for the team. Okay. <laughs> And Kevin didn't seem too mad about it. So nobody's feelings got hurt. Dee Dee tipped and dipped on out of there in the middle of the night after her job was done. Hopefully she actually got spaghetti. (laughs) Hopefully she actually got a meal with that too. But, and got this in writing, you know, because people, people like to forget. (laughs) So (laughs) be like, you undid all of that. That. All of that and then get it on paper and he want to forget. Girl, I hope you do know better than that. She seemed like she a professional at this. So uh, I'm sure she got it. Every I dotted and every T crossed. <laughs> anyway, so that's that on that. I told you we make it through this episode together and we made it through this episode together. Okay. <laughs> so next week... Cause we're back to weekly. Yay. Yay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to be back to weekly. I say that. And then I have to watch the next show, which is the big show of 1965. Now this one is a heavier episode. Okay. The actual went, I'll say this, the topics that are discussed, if I remember correctly, there, a young lady was taken advantage of. I don't remember if it was because of her age, her mental state, or if it was force. I do not remember. But that is what previously happened that is causing an issue at this reunion show. Okay, so it, it's a little heavy. It's a little heavy. So I'm going to try to make the, as I don't want to make light of it, but I'm going to try to make it as light of an episode as I can, knowing that I fully understand how serious the issues and the topics are. So just a bit of a heads up, and I'll say it again in that recording that I understand how heavy these issues are, but I'm going to try to make it as light as possible so that we can enjoy it. And, you know, I try not to skip episodes because I surely would have skipped this one because there are some that I will. (laughs) There are some that I will that are just ones that I refuse to watch. But that that's later on. We got plenty of time. Plenty of time, plenty of episodes in the interim. Okay. 
So until next time, you have an amazing week and I promise to do the same. And if you cannot wait for the next episode, of course, you can find me on the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. Oh, the content of it all. And if you want to just shout out, we are also on Instagram at the Fletcher Files pod on Instagram and Facebook meta at the Fletcher Files pod on Facebook meta. Other than that, you can find me next week right here. Same time, same place, same Monty. Okay. (laughs) Until next time. Bye.